Welcome to The Well, a podcast all about living wisely and faithfully as a follower of Christ. The goal? To give you guidance, food for thought, and to encourage you as you engage the people and situations that you encounter daily. Now, here's your host, Sean Barkley. Hello and uh, welcome back to The Well. I'm so glad to have you with me for another 15 or 20 minutes as we talk about living wisely and faithfully in this wonderful world that God has given us, but a world that is confusing in many ways. In fact, I was listening to the radio as I was driving to the church where I'm a Presbyterian minister just this week, and a talk show host talking about sports noted that the future is shrouded in doubt. And I thought, man, what a what a word for the day. The future is shrouded in doubt. You know, there are a lot of things that we doubt, a lot of things that we don't understand. I've, I've shared with the congregation I serve that I still am amazed that a 300-ton airplane can fly 30,000 feet above the earth and not just fall. I mean, we have aviators and engineers who can explain that to me, and it still just literally blows my mind. And then you take the opposite end of the spectrum, how a submarine can basically be propelled nearly 3,000 feet below the surface of the ocean and not be crushed by the weight of all that water. I know we have engineers and scientists who can explain it to me. I don't care. It still just blows my mind. You know, I was reading about something that you and I do every single day that scientists and researchers cannot explain yet, and that is yawn. Maybe you're yawning right now. We do not know the true biological function of a yawn. There are theories that it maybe cools down the brain, but we don't know exactly why people yawn, and even more so, We can't explain why a yawn is contagious. There's no reason that it should be, and yet how many times have you seen someone yawn, and the next thing you know, you're yawning yourself. It's just something we can't even wrap our minds around. There's so much in life that we just do not understand. And the truth is, a lot of us, as we look at the world around us, as we look at the people around us, will say, I just have so much doubt about what I see and what I hear, I just, I just can't explain some of those things. And I want to talk about doubt with you today. We're going to start five weeks on the Psalms. And I'm going to title these five weeks, the messages, I was wondering. You know, questions that you and I might have. And, and today I want to deal with the universal question of doubt. What do you and I do when we have doubts about the existence of God? where doubts about the care of God, the providence of God, doubts about the divinity of Christ. What do we do with all those? And here's something I've noticed over the years. And tell me if this is true for you. Many of the doubts that we have as believers in Christ are the very same doubts that people outside the faith have about God as well. You know, Why does God allow these things to happen? Why is the world so broken and fallen? Why do innocent people suffer? Why do people get sick and die? We, we just have these doubts about if there really is a God, why doesn't He do, go ahead and do something to intervene in the affairs of men and women? Why does God not do something? So if you have doubts, you're not alone. In fact, if you read the New Testament, John the Baptist, really the first to kind of publicly identify Jesus as the Messiah, at one point in his life wondered, is this guy really who he claims to be. Thomas, one of the twelve, we call him Doubting Thomas. 
spent years with Jesus, saw him perform miracles. And even at the resurrection, Thomas said, I just cannot believe this. You've got to prove it to me. And then, of course, there's a wonderful story in the New Testament about a man who went to Jesus for help. And he said to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. <laughs> and so regardless of where you and I are in our walk with God, um, let me ask you a question. What about God do you doubt? What about Christ do you doubt? You see, I think some of us develop doubts about God because we look at how the world is going and we see that it's not going so well and we say to God, you know, I, God, I really don't mean to complain here. I don't mean to criticize, but man, there's a few things that you have sort of missed. You need to get your eye back on the ball. Or we just look at our own personal life and see things that happen to us, job loss, health problems, um, want to be a parent, can't be a parent, heartbreak, wayward children, depression, all these things. And because we experience these things, we have our doubts about who God is, if God is really there, and if God really cares. So what I want to do is dive into Psalm 73 with you. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it. But if not, I'll read some of the passages. But, but Psalm 73 was written by a man named Asaph, who was King David's musician and worship leader. And Asaph was uh, theologically deep. He was a godly person. Uh, as I mentioned, a leader of worship. He wrote, or is credited with writing 12 of the Psalms. And yet Asaph struggled with doubt. And he wrote about it, and it became a part of the Bible. Isn't that amazing to think about it? I love the Bible. It is so real. And so where did his doubts come from? What was the seed of his doubt? And what I want to show you is that it was envy that led to his disappointment with God that then led to his doubts about the care and providence of God. So here you go. Psalm 73, verses 2 and 3. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. Why? For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In other words, he looked around and saw people doing well who shouldn't have been doing well, and it caused him to doubt. Now understand this, Asaph was doing pretty well. I mean, his life was okay. He was gifted. He was leading the people of God. He was a close friend of the king, and yet he was envious. And now what is envy? It's just when you want what somebody else has, when you want their life. And here's what makes it even a little more dicey. He was envious of people who were living in rebellion against God and disobeying God and getting away with it. So he wasn't envious about someone who was living this wonderful upright life, this godly, righteous existence. No, he was envious because he saw people who were doing wrong getting away with it, and it made him think, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> and so he observed this about them, and, and you can just in verses 4, 5, and 9, well, they had an easy life. Uh, they were arrogant and greedy. They had it all, and they denied God. Does this resonate with you? When you look at the people around you and you say, man, they just seem to be getting away with all this stuff, and life seems so good and so easy, and they have it all, and yet they have no relationship with God whatsoever. You see, Asaph was a careful observer, and he was preoccupied with these wicked people. And finally, he says this in verse 12, this is what the wicked are like. They are always carefree and they increase in wealth. In other words, they're just not worried. 
They're not trying to be faithful. They're not giving a portion of their money to God. They're not engaging in worship. They're doing exactly what they want. They're carefree. They're just whistling and walking down the lane, and they're getting rich doing it. Does that resonate with you? You think about social media in our context, and of course, Asaph didn't have social media, but he was a careful observer. He was paying attention. Here's what we know about social media. Let's take Facebook, for example, and I don't want to pick on one platform, but that's just the one that I happen to spend the most time of all the available ones. Facebook is an opportunity for people to show the world their best side. It's an opportunity for us to get attention. It's an opportunity for us to maybe have others look at our lives and feel a little envious. It's an opportunity for us to, to get sympathy because we're a victim. Notice what we don't see on Facebook posts. We don't see a picture of parents picking up Junior from jail again with the caption, oops, he did it again. We don't see pictures of people holding their maxed out credit card bill. We don't see people posting something that says, hey, check out this lie I told my spouse. We don't see people posting, I spent 13 hours a day online last week. And so, as Asaph was a careful observer of the wicked, so you and I sometimes are careful observers of people, maybe using social media, but I'm here to tell you, we do not see the full story. And so this reality of the wicked doing so well and prospering led Asaph to doubt God's goodness, righteousness, and justice. And so here's what he writes. After talking about how the wicked are so carefree and increasing in wealth, he says, Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In other words, I've tried to be pure in heart, and it's just dumb. It makes no sense whatsoever. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. In other words, I've had opportunities to do things that are wrong and I've, I've stayed innocent. All day long I've been plagued and I've been punished every morning. My life is not nearly as easy, not nearly as good, and not nearly as carefree as their lives. And so he's basically saying, why do I even bother? Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> you know, what good is this doing me? I still experience job loss. I still experience health problems. I still experience the inability to get pregnant. I still experience heartbreak. I still have wayward children. I still feel depressed. That's what's going on with him. And he finally says, so what am I doing, what am I doing all this for, for God, if he's not going to do anything for me? Well, envy that leads to doubt is just a part of our humanity. I mean, it's deeply embedded in who we are. Trace it all the way back, you all, to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve. I mean, they're living in the perfect place, perfect bliss. They've got everything they want. They could ask for nothing else. And they have one prohibition. Hey, you guys leave that tree alone. And what do they want? Ding, ding, ding. You got it. They want that tree. And here's what they think. God's holding out on us. God is not to be trusted. And that that sense of wanting something that doesn't belong to them, that envy, that jealousy, that, that aspiration for what is, what is wrong leads them to doubt. So I want to ask you a very serious question. What characterizes, and I'm going to include myself in this, what characterizes your or my approach to God? Okay, hear me out. Is God a useful tool or is He our awesome, beautiful Creator? In other words... Do you and I love and serve God because we can get from Him?
because of what we can get or because we want a deeper experience of Him. Y'all, that was Asaph's pondering. Is God just a tool for me to get what I want? Or is there something more to faith? And so what does Asaph do in the midst of this doubt, in the midst of this moment of reality, like, okay, is it all worth it? Well, verses 17 and 18 of chapter 73. When I tried to understand this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood. So what did he do? All these thoughts and all these doubts and all this jealousy drove him to just worship God. And what is worship? Worship is when you and I take our eyes off self and put our eyes on to God. And so he shared his questions with God. He shared his doubts with God. He didn't just stew on those. He did something. Took his eyes off himself and put his eyes on God. I saw a study not too long ago. I I think I've shared this with you, but maybe not. The study was about questions. And what was revealed is that as children, we ask on average about 125 questions every day. As adults, we ask six. And so along the way, we lose 119 questions every day. I mean, think about it. Jesus asked questions. He asked about 300 questions as recorded in the New Testament. He was only asked 175. So he asked more questions than he actually was asked of, and he only answered three. And here's what I want to say about that. Questions are good. They're okay. I mean, God asks them. Now, Jesus didn't ask questions out of doubt, but what we learn is that God can handle our questions. God can handle our doubts. And as we confess our doubts, we might not get the answers. We might just get God. Jesus only answered three out of 175 questions. He did not give people answers always. He gave people himself. And so Asaph, in dealing with doubt, just goes to God in worship and just takes his, takes his mind and his heart before God and takes his eyes off himself. And when he worships, we see some things happen in his heart. In verse 19, in thinking about those who were evil, here's what he says. Those who are evil, how suddenly they are destroyed. They are completely swept away by terror. When he worshiped and put his eyes on God, he saw a glimpse of God's plans, a glimpse of how God works. The wicked really don't have it all that great. He only saw the surface. He only saw the good Facebook posts. You see, you and I never know what's going on inside of a person. And here's what we do know. Life is short. And we also know that God sorts things out eternally. I love what Paul wrote to the Roman church. For I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. This present is nothing compared to what awaits us. There is an eternity in front of us. And so God, as I said, sorts life out and sorts out eternity. And that's what we have awaiting us. And so when we worship, when we take our eyes off self and put our eyes on God in the midst of our doubts, God gives us a tiny little glimpse. Hey, you don't want that wicked life. You don't want to live a life apart from me. You don't want to live a life of rebellion. Trust me when I tell you, my way's better. And then something else happens in verses 21 and 22. 
When my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. In other words, he saw himself as he truly was. Oh, what a gift that is. When you and I go to God in worship, just to kind of see ourselves as we really are. The church I serve, we have a prayer of confession where we just kind of lay it out before God and say, you know, here I am, Lord, and, and here's what's going on with me. I think often we are like children opening Christmas gifts in a large family. Have you ever noticed that every once in a while there's a child in this family system as everybody's opening their gifts, who after he or she opens their gifts, become more concerned with what the other children are getting and wondering if maybe the other children are getting greater or better gifts. And they become envious of the other children's gifts rather than enjoy the gifts that they've been given. That's what Asaph is seeing in his own life. He's basically saying, I have to confess here, God, I was like a brute beast. In other words, I just wanted something from you. That's what a beast does. A beast does not want a relationship. A beast just wants stuff. I was senseless and I was ignorant. And I was grieved and my spirit was embittered through all this. So my envy of those who have so much caused me to be bitter, caused me to be grieved, and it was senseless. His honest confession of doubt opened a space in his life for God to work. I mean, I'll confess that I have struggled with doubt in my life. Never really doubting the existence of God, but sometimes doubting the care of God. Um, there, there, there have been times when I've said, why is my life not as good as I thought it would be? There's no justice. Uh, week in and week out, I go to worship. Week in and week out, I lead people. Why is my life not better? And here's what I learned. You know, Jesus died for my sins, and because of that, I get what I don't deserve anyway, because I could not handle God's justice. And so as I looked at my life compared with other people and saw that they had some things and were doing some things I wished I could do and I wished I had, and I asked God for justice, I came to the realization, I don't want God's justice, because I couldn't handle God's justice. Jesus died for my sin. And so maybe God's not so bad after all. <laughs> he saw himself as he truly was. One more thing, and we're almost done. In the midst of his doubt, here's what Asaph got. He got God. Verses 23, 4, 6, and 8. Yet I am always with you, God. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. You are the strength of my heart. You are my portion forever. It is good to be near the Lord. He didn't get answers. Notice, he got God. When, when Jesus was ascended into heaven, he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the comforter, the empowerer. Uh, he promised to be with us. And so notice that Asaph, he didn't get the life he envied. He received insight about God's truth. He got something even greater than the wicked could ever ask for. He got the insight, God's with me all the time. God is holding me. God is guiding me. God is strengthening me. God is near to me. And that is a greater gift than anything he could possibly ever envy. 
So as we close, let me, let me leave you with a challenge this week. If you have doubts, I would challenge you, and I'll tell you what, I'll do it too, and we'll talk about it next week, to write down some of those doubts and to take them to God in prayer and maybe even to dig into the Bible and try to find some answers in the Bible as to how to deal with those doubts. And as you do that, pray this, God, give me a glimpse of your plan. Help me to see myself as I truly am. And help me to be satisfied with receiving you and all that you want to give. Well, friends, I hope you have an awesome rest of the day. And I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye for now.